The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. I want to start by uh, just declaring prayer of forgiveness for you. Scripture says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be forgiven. So if you confessed this morning, know that you are forgiven. I'm also reminded of John chapter 8, verse 11, when Jesus told the adulterous woman, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. And I pray that for us all uh, this morning. So let's pray as we dig into the word. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercies that I knew every day. We thank you for all your wonderful gifts which we do not deserve. So we are grateful. We thank you for a beautiful Sunday morning. Thank you for the fellowship of brothers and sisters around the world. We thank you for the freedom to worship you this morning. Jesus, even with everything that's going on around the world, we can still praise you because you are God and you sustain the whole world in your hands. So I lift up a few prayer requests unto you this morning. I pray for Arlene Kirk's family Pray for the for the loss of your son. I pray that you comfort them, Lord. That you give them your peace that you alone can give them. I also pray that we will be an encouragement to them during this difficult time. Surround them with your love, surround them with your presence, and just fill your heart with your compassion and your grace. Jesus, I want to lift up those that are sick amongst us, those that we know of and those that we don't know of, Lord. We pray for your hands of healing, mercy. Lift up people like Dave. We pray for your continuous healing on him. Lift up people like my great-grandma, Lord. Pray that you will be with her, you comfort her, strengthen her. And for those that we don't know of, Lord, we pray for your continuous healing on them. We lift up our nation and the world. We pray for your peace. We pray that you will move our hearts and that you will focus our eyes on you. So lift up this morning. I pray that the words that I say will not be my words that you use your Holy Spirit to talk through me, to convict our hearts so that we won't just be the hearers of what we hear, but also the doers. Thank you for this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Refuge Church, this morning we will be continuing with our Five Commitments series. And our intro for this series is this. 
we are defined more by what we do than by what we say. In the Bible, we are told that some will meet God in heaven expecting to enjoy their forever home, only to discover that they never knew God. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, and God will respond, I never knew you. How will God greet you in heaven? Have you really known him? We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. But declaring faith is only the first step in following Jesus. God invites us to a personal experience of his presence and power here on earth. These five commitments will not save you. And I repeat, these five commitments will not save you. But they are a way of living that will help you share the life of Jesus, walk in the Spirit, and show the goodness of the born-again life on earth that you have been called to live. And so this morning, I'll be talking on the second commitment, which is fasting. And our passage this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, from verse 16 to 18. Matthew chapter 6, from verse 16 to 18. I read, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put on oil on your head and wash your face, so no one will know that you are fasting, but only your Father who is in heaven and unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Fasting. Fasting is not a spiritual discipline that is exclusive to only Christians. The Confucius in China practiced fasting, as did the yogis in India. And also during the entire month of Ramadan, which is the ninth month in the Islamic calendar, Muslims around the world are required to fast because fasting is one of the five pillars of Islam. The great philosophers Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle all fasted. Fasting is mentioned more than 70 times, 70 times in scripture. But why is it in our culture today that fasting is a discipline that some Christians fail to completely practice or practice regularly. And I'm here to say that I'm guilty of that as well. Richard Foster, the author of the book, Spiritual Disciplines, argues that Christians disregard the subject of fasting, which is frequently mentioned in the Bible and practiced by Christians throughout the centuries for two reasons. The first reason he argues is that Fasting has developed a bad reputation because of the excessive ascetic practices of the Middle Ages. With the decline of the inward reality of the Christian faith 
an increasing tendency to stress the only thing left, the outward form develop. What does he mean by that? Here's an example of what fasting was like during the medieval Lenten uh, period. As described by uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, he writes, during Lenten, he said, on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday were black fast, which means there was no food at all, right? On those two days, you were not supposed to eat anything. And then he also adds, no food from waking until 3 p.m., the hour when Christ died. And this practice of fasting till 3 p.m. goes back to the 5th uh, century. And so during that fast, you were not supposed to eat any animal meat or fat. Fish was allowed, but no meat, no eggs, no dairy products, milk, cheese, cream, and butter. Wine and beer were allowed. I don't know why, but it was. And then medieval Europeans during Lent subsisted on bread, vegetables, and salt. And so during fasting, there was also no sexual intercourse between spouses. And then no Sundays off either. All this rule applied for 46 days. And then the six Sundays in Lent were relaxed, but the fasting and the abstinence were not relaxed on Sunday. And so fasting was subjugated to the most rigid regulation and practice with extreme self-modification and flagellation. And that's why modern culture reacts strongly to this excesses and tends to confuse fasting with modification. His second argument is that the constant propaganda that is fed to us today convinces us that if we do not have three large meals a day with several snacks in between, we are on the verge of starvation. We know that's not true, right? You can go without air, I mean, you cannot go without air and water for too long, but you can go without eating for many days before starvation kicks in. So I don't know where these experts are getting their information from. And so, but what is fasting? Why is it that it's mentioned more than 70 times in the Bible and Christians throughout the ages have practiced it? And so my first question this morning is, I want to define what fasting is. And I also want to talk about when we should fast and why we should fast and how we practice it as a church. Those are the questions that I want to look at with you guys this morning. So what is fasting? Before I answer what, before I define what fasting is, I want to distinguish it from hunger strike the purpose of which is to gain political power or attract attention to a good cause. Hunger strike is not fasting. John Piper in his book Desiring God defines fasting as this. He says fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that is in itself good like food 
in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God and His works in our lives. In other words, John Piper is saying fasting is abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. If you are abstaining from food for any other purposes that is not spiritual, that is not fasting. For it to be fasting, you have to be abstaining from something for a spiritual purpose. That is what fasting is. So when should we fast? During Jesus' time, it was common to fast twice a week. Daniel shared with us uh, the Pharisees' prayer uh, this morning. In Luke chapter 18, verse 11 to 12, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, swindlers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and pay tithes of all that I acquire. Fasting twice a week was a common practice during Jesus' time. And it was a common practice during Jesus' time. We know that Jesus also fasted. The Didache, which is an ancient document of the Lord's teaching through the twelve apostles to the nations, also prescribed fasting two days a week, Wednesday and Friday. And that's why John Wesley, during his time, he sought to revive the practice of the Didache and used early and urged early Methodists to fast on Wednesday and Friday. And he felt strongly about fasting that he refused to ordain any Methodist minister who did not fast on these two days. I think that is extreme. But that was his conviction. Also, there are no biblical laws that command regular fasting. You won't find it in Scripture. But our freedom in the gospel, however, does not mean license. It means opportunity. Since there are no laws to bind us, we are free to fast on any day or when we are convicted to. Fasting also is often accompanied by prayer, by prayer in the Bible. In the Old Testament, fasting was symbolic of grieving or repenting of sin. And in the New Testament and the era we live in, fasting is a way to grow closer to God, much like how we do through prayer. And so what are some examples of when people fasted in Scripture? I have a few. The first is people fasted in Scripture to prepare for ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to 17, Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness fasting and praying before he began his work on earth. He needed time alone to prepare himself for what his father had called him to do. So he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. People also fasted in the Bible to seek God's wisdom. Paul and Barnabas prayed and fasted for the elders of the churches before committing them to the Lord 
for his service. People also fasted to show grief. Nehemiah mourned, fasted, and prayed when he learned Jerusalem walls had been broken down, leaving the Israelites vulnerable and disgraced. People also fasted in scripture to seek deliverance or protection. In the book of Esther, upon learning that execution awaited herself and her people, Esther instructed Mordecai, her uncle, to gather all the Jews and hold a fast on my behalf, she said, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day, I and my maid will also fast as you do. Esther chapter 4 verse 16 to 6, 6, uh, 14 to 16 and God saved them from that. When did people also fast in the Bible to repent? After Jonah pronounced judgment against the city of Nineveh the king of Nineveh covered himself with sackcloth and sat in dust he then ordered the people to fast and pray. In Jonah chapter 3 verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction he had, he had threatened. And then people also fasted in the Bible to gain victory. After losing 40,000 men in battle in two days, the Israelites cried out to God. Judges chapter 20 verse 26 says, All the people went up to Bethel and sat weeping before the Lord. They also fasted that day until evening. And the next day, the Lord gave them victory over the Benjamites. And then also people fasted to worship God. In Luke chapter 2 tells the story of an 84-year-old prophetess named Anna. Verse 37 says, She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Anna was devoted to God and fasting was one of our love expression to Him. And so when should you fast? In almost every circumstance in life that you find yourself in, whether good or bad, as we've seen with these examples in the Bible. So any time is a good time to fast. The next question is, how should we fast according to Scripture? How should we fast according to Scripture? In our memory text uh, this morning from uh, Matthew chapter 6 verse 16 to 18 Jesus starts by saying when you fast when you fast and so Jesus seems to assume that people will fast and he is giving them instruction on how to do it properly Martin Luther said this it was not Christ's intention to reject or despise fasting it was his intention to restore proper fasting. Jesus was also making a point to shut down any legalistic or religious formality to fasting, telling his followers, 
that they should not be fasting to be noticed, nor fast in such a way that draws attention. Jesus commands for people to pull themselves together before they go out in public was to highlight the importance of fasting as a connection to God. Only he needs to know that you are fasting. I always laugh during Lent season when we see Hollywood actors with ashes on their head because that's the only time they're trying to tell us, I'm a Christian too. And here we have Jesus saying, no, act normal. People don't need to know you're fasting. Act like your normal self because fasting should be between you and God and you don't have to show the whole world that you are fasting. That is how we shall fast according to scripture. Then the next question is, why should we fast? Why should we fast? Why have Christians over the centuries fasted? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 to 18, our scripture reading this morning, it is crucial to note that the very statement that Jesus made about fasting dealt with the question of motive. Why is that? The reason is, to use good things to our own end is always a sign of false religion. What do I mean by that? It is easy to take something like fasting and try to use it to get God to do what we want. At times, there is such stress upon the blessing and benefits of fasting that we will be tempted to believe that with a little fast, we could have the world, including God, eating out of our hands. Fasting must forever be centered on God. Other purposes must be subservient to God. God questioned his people in Zechariah's day. This is what God said, When ye fasted, did ye at all fast unto me or even to me? Zechariah chapter 7 verse 5. And so God was saying, Yes, you fasted, but you weren't really doing it to me. And so if our fasting is not unto God, we have failed. Physical benefits, success in prayer, spiritual insight, this must never replace God as the center of our fasting. John Wesley says this, First, let it be done unto the Lord with our eyes singly fixed on Him. Let our intention here in this and this alone be to glorify our Father which is in heaven. That is why we fast. It's all for God. And once the primary purpose of fasting is firmly fixed in our eyes, we are at liberty to understand that there are other secondary purposes to fasting. What are other reasons why we should fast? One is, more than any discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. More than any discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. 
We cover up what is inside of us with food and other things that satisfies us. But in fasting, this thing surface. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately when we fast. David writes, I humbled my soul with fasting. Psalms chapter 69 verse 10. Anger, strife, bitterness, jealousy, fear, and all the deadly vices. If they are within us, when we fast, they will resurface. They will show up. That is why we fast. Another reason we fast is fasting reminds us that we are sustained by God. Food does not sustain us. God sustains us. In Christ, all things hold together. Christ does that for us. Therefore, in experiences of fasting, we are not so much abstaining from food since we are feasting on the Word of God which sustains us. When the disciple brought lunch to Jesus, assuming that he would be starving, he declared to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John chapter 4, verse 32 to 34. So when we fast, we are feasting on God and the good works that he has ordained us to do. That is why we fast. Another reason we fast is that it helps us keep our life in balance. It helps us keep our life in balance. How easily we begin to allow non-essential things to take precedence over our lives. How quickly we crave things that we do not need until we are enslaved by them. Paul writes, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Our human cravings and desires are like rivers that tends to overflow their banks. Fasting helps keep them in a proper channel. David writes, I afflicted myself with fasting. Psalms chapter 35 verse 10. And so when we fast, we crave for something better. Something that doesn't control us. It refocuses us to what, it's, to what is essential, which is God. Dr. Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, was a firm believer in the power of prayer and fasting. And in his guide, Why You Should Fast, he listed the following reasons for why we should seek God through fasting. And I really like his reasons. First, he says, fasting and prayer can restore the loss of the first love for your Lord and result in a more intimate relationship with Christ. It results in a more intimate relationship with Christ. When you fast, right, you're not distracted by other things. Right? You're focused. And for me, when I fast, I find that I pray even more that day. So it is true. I'm focused on Christ. 
and focused on my relationship with him when I fast. And then his second reason is fasting is a biblical way to truly humble yourself in the sight of God. Hunger humbles people. But when you fast and are doing it for a spiritual purpose, it really, it truly shows that you are dependent on God. The third reason he makes is fasting enables the Holy Spirit to reveal your true spiritual condition, resulting in brokenness, repentance, and a transformed life. Resulting in brokenness, repentance, and a transformed life. He also adds, fasting will encourage the Holy Spirit to quicken the Word of God in your heart and His truth will become more meaningful to you. His truth will become more meaningful to you. And then he says, fasting can transform your prayer life into a richer and a more personal experience. And I find that true whenever I fast. And then finally, he said, fasting can result in a dynamic personal revival in your own life and make you channel and make you a channel of revival to others. And so there are many spiritual benefits to fasting. One of my uh, favorite church fathers uh, is Saint uh, Anthony of Egypt. He is also known as the first, uh, the first monk, but in reality, there were other monks who lived uh, uh, before him. But what made him special was when he was 18, he heard the sermon about Jesus uh, saying, if you want to follow me, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And I think that's from Matthew chapter 18. And he took that to heart. His parents died and they left him all their wealth and he had a sister, but he took everything he had and gave it to the poor. And then he took his sister to live with some nuns. And then what he did was he retreated into the desert of Egypt. And I mean, living in the desert of Egypt is no easy thing to do. And so he became an isolated monk. And all he did was fast and pray. All he did was fast and pray. He didn't have food. It was people in the villages around who came and brought him food. But St. Anthony would go for days without eating food. One of the things that he said that was special was that living an isolated life helped him uh, fight less of a battle. He believed that if you lived in the city, if you lived around people, you have to fight the vices of hearing, and then you have to fight the vices of listening. But if you're isolated, you only have to fight one war, which is the battle of the heart, right? And for him, the way he was fighting the battle of the heart was by continuous praying and fasting. And he was one of the most spiritual and godly people who lived in that era. And people actually sought after him. He prayed for people. And even the emperor, Constantine, 
when he legalized Christianity. He wrote a letter to St. Ant uh, Anthony asking him to pray for him because of his devotion uh, to God. And for the rest of his life, he lived in the desert because he grew in his walk with Christ through fasting and prayers, and he wouldn't trade that for anything. And so as a church, how do we practice the discipline of fasting? Jesus did not command fasting, but it was a normal occurrence in his day during his earthly time. And it will make sense that his followers also fasted. And as followers of Jesus, shouldn't we fast also? And that is why as a church, we are committing to fasting twice a month. And I repeat, as a church, we are encouraging you guys and us to fast at least twice in a month. Fasting is not just for food, but food is widely used in different types of fast. Fasting from food can be progressive, can be full or partial. Sandstorms in this article, what Christians need to know about fasting, list the following different kinds of fast. A partial fast is abstaining from a particular food. And so you can choose to do that if that's your comfort level. A liquid fast is abstaining from all solid food. That is another option. An absolute fast is abstaining from all food and liquids. You are welcome to do that. And a supernatural fast is as in Jesus and Moses refraining from eating or drinking for 40 days and 40 nights. I want to advise you to do that and it, that's why it's called a supernatural fasting because really God sustained Jesus and Moses to be able to fast for that long without food and water. If God is calling you to do that, then go ahead. But I will not advise you to do a supernatural fast if God is not calling you to do that. And finally, there's no one type of fast that fits all. Like I said, choose what your comfort level is. If you want to do an absolute fast, go ahead. A partial fast, go ahead. A liquid fast, go ahead. We just want you to fast. But as you're fasting, what you should remember is it is between you and God. It is between you and God. And also, I have one announcement to add. I'll be uh, teaching a class on uh, spiritual discipline uh, starting next week. And the class is from a book uh, that's called Celebration of Discipline by Richard J. Foster. And so in this uh, five-week class, I'll be talking about uh, meditation, prayer, study, service, and confession as disciplines that we can learn more about and grow on as a church. And so I'll probably be teaching these classes on uh, Thursday night. And so we will send down an announcement and 
all the info that you need to know uh, about uh, this class that I'll be teaching and how you can be a part of it. So I'm excited to teach this class. And, you know, this was a class that I took in college, uh, Christian spirituality, and I really grew from it. The things I took for granted, like fasting, how to read my Bible, how to pray, like I really grew uh, from the things that I learned in that class. And my prayer for you is that you will be blessed with uh, some of the things that uh, we discuss in the class. So I'm excited to teach that class and I'm excited for uh, you guys to be a part of it. And so we will send out emails on more uh, information uh, on that class. And every Sunday, uh, we encourage you guys to break uh, bread and communion. And on the day, on the night that he was about to be betrayed, Jesus broke bread and said to his disciples, I'm making a new covenant with you. This is my body that's broken for you. Take this remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took wine and said, this is my blood that will be shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. And I encourage you guys to do this with me this morning. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for your body and your blood that was shed for our sins. Clean us and make us righteous again. Jesus, we thank you for the message that we've heard this morning. And as we commit to fasting as a church, Lord, I know it's scary for especially those of us who haven't done it. And for those of us who are not able to, Lord, you know their heart, you know their condition. And I just feel that those people will not feel pressure into doing it. Because fasting is not just from abstaining from food, but all the things that control our life. And so as we fast as a church, I pray that we will grow spiritually, Pray that our focus will be on you and help us, Lord, as we practice these five commitments that we'll be talking about for the next uh, three weeks, that we will grow as a church, that we'll be a light to our community and to the people around us. We thank you for this, we ask in Jesus' name.